You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Stacy Weiss on the show with me today. She has a brand new book. It's called Lie, Lie Again. And I'll tell you what, for when, when you're hearing this show, it's going to be January 1st and the beginning of a new year. Thank God. And uh, I, I think, uh, you know, if you want to kick off your new year with uh, a great, thrilling read, Stacy's new book is definitely a must-have in your to-be-read pile. Uh, welcome to the show, Stacy. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I am I'm excited, excited to, to be here. Well, thank you. I'm excited to have you. Um, Stacy. we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Uh, that is a good question. Um, this is actually kind of funny. I remember this so vividly. I had this little desk in my bedroom and it was a it was a glass topped desk so I could put pictures and whatnot under it. I remember I would put like postcards and, you know, of course, pictures of cute baby animals and things like that. But I love to sit at my desk and and pretend to write. And I remember specifically one day opening a, a kid's book. And I think it was called Stop, I, but I've never been able to find it. So I could be wrong. But I was probably about seven and I got out a stack of paper and I started copying it word for word. And I stapled it, you know, like I took my time stapling it perfectly. And I remember bringing it down to my mom and saying, look, I wrote my first book. <laughs> and she <laughs> said, wow, that's so great, you know, knowing that I copied it because we had read it so many times before. But um, without really knowing that I wanted to be a writer when I was that young, I think that's like a pretty clear sign that I would sit there for, you know, probably what took an hour to write in my best handwriting, you know, all the words of someone else's book. <laughs> that's so cool. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of funny um, because I, I hear stories similar to that a lot and there's there's an interesting that ha interesting thing that happens when you're when you're very young you you sort of think of books as this otherworldly ethereal kind of thing that just kind of show up out of nowhere um but then something happens when you realize that books are made by people and if people can make books then maybe people like me can make books and then like you said, you know, you write out the book, you you bind it, you you staple it, and it becomes a real thing. Um, that's a that's an awesome step for a young writer to take. Yeah, but the interest you said something so relevant, which I think a lot of writers go through, is that books are written by other people, people not like me, right? right. They, they they I had such high esteem for authors. I was such a huge reader still am but as a kid I spent a lot of time with books and I never ever ever thought that I could be a writer even though I think in the back of my mind the want was always there 
And it took me a really long time to actually give it a go. You know, I, I was a casting director for many years and then I was a teacher and then I was a mom. And I mean, I still am a mom, but you know, I, I left teaching <laughs> to stay home with my kids. But um, it wasn't until I read an interview with Stephanie Meyer, who of course wrote the Twilight um, books. and she said something along the lines of, oh, we always tell ourselves stories in our head throughout the day. And the interviewer said, no, not so much. And she <laughs> said, yeah, don't, don't you do that? And I was like, I do, I do. I, I tell myself stories all the time. And it took that knowing that she was a mom with little kids and that she just on a whim, basically, you know, based on a dream, she started writing. And I thought, why not? I have nothing to lose. Um, you know, nobody knew I was trying to write a book. I kept it very quiet. And so I think there was a lot of safety in that, that there wasn't the pressure of me saying, oh, I'm, I'm starting a new career. It was really just me. I have this secret hobby. You, uh, your time as a casting director, that is, that's fascinating to me. Um, how did you get started uh, in that line of work? Oh, wow. Um, so I went to UCLA for undergraduate studies and I was in this wonderful major called comm studies, communication studies. And it, it allowed us to, to take classes in a lot of different areas. And a lot of people went into law. Some people went into entertainment. I found myself taking a lot of classes in the, the theater and motion picture, you know, section. Um, and one, one of my opportunities was to do an internship and this kid sitting in my internship class next to me was talking about how he <clears throat> had gotten an internship on the soap opera Santa Barbara. If you remember that from way back when, oh, yeah. and you know, it was one of NBC's soaps, but, um, I loved that show. I used to watch it with my mom and. I said, wow, I want to do that. And he said, no, 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 they're full. And I didn't believe him. I thought, no, everybody wants a free worker, especially, you know, a student, an eager student. And so I had to go down into the, I don't know, this small room. And there were just plastic boxes full of index cards. And I had to go through each index card to find the information for the contact at NBC Daytime Casting. And I finally found it and I called her and she was so sweet. And she said, no, we're full, but, you know, check in in a week or two. And I did. I continued to follow up with her and she was the loveliest person. Her name is Patty Carmack. And she was the assistant to the casting director. And finally, she said, why don't you come in and you can open fan mail? And I said, great, I'll be there. So every Friday I drove out to the Burbank studios. And I did. I opened fan mail and I logged it and she eventually let me start reading scripts. And then she took me down to the set so I could see the the show being taped. And then she let me sit in on casting sessions. And I didn't even know the job existed. I knew people were on TV. I didn't know how they got there. And I, I, I found it so fascinating. I loved it. I thought actors were the coolest people. They were just so creative and interesting and worldly. And after I graduated, 
Patty helped me get a job <clears throat> as a as a page at the Tonight Show, and very very shortly thereafter, um, she let me know that another casting director was looking for an assistant, and I ended up getting the job. And um, we did one show that didn't get picked up after after four episodes, and then he got this show called The X Files, and it was so funny because nobody knew what that was, right? And they would call it the Exiles and David Duchovny, not David Duchovny. Nobody knew who he was before he became a household name. And um, yeah, that's how it started. I, I started out as an assistant on the X-Files and worked my way up through there. That is so funny. Um, I, I think that yeah. you know, a, a lot of writers are casting directors of a sort, um, you know, uh, but novel writing is interesting. You cast the entire cast. You write the the script for them, if you will. You you know you do everything. Um, how do you feel like your time as a casting director affects your fiction writing? Uh, because you know you get to pick the cast of characters and and all of that for your book. Do do you did you learn anything from you know fitting learning how to fit the right person for the right role? Did did that bleed over into your fiction writing at all? Oh, that's such an interesting way to look at it. Um, I I think you're probably right. I, subconsciously, that probably did help. I do think that one of the biggest helps was, you know, some days after I was an assistant and I became a casting director myself and I was doing all the auditions, um, I would meet, depending on how, how many roles we had to cast for a particular script, you know, 50 people a day and all of that energy, all of those different personalities and um, just all the different worlds they brought in, even though it was just for a few minutes, I, it really, really made me curious about people and their stories. And I think that helped broaden my perspective in a big, big way about just different lives and people and how the more sort of crazy their story was, the more I was drawn in. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, I, I just found I just found the people right. so interesting, and I think that helped me maybe appreciate character development and things like that. Um, but you're right. I think I do see things when I'm writing a story. I, I it is very visual for me. You know, I imagine it in my head before I write it. So you're you spend this time as a casting director that you worked your way up. And and I I love that story of how you got started in that, because the one thing that I think is overlooked by a lot of people is the role of persistence, um, just not giving up. Uh, I, you know, me in my life, I've had so many opportunities that have opened up for me because I just didn't give up because it was just easier to give me the job than to keep you know, looking at me over and over and telling me, no, you know, just come on, we'll find something for you to do just so you'll, you know, leave me alone. Um, persistence is, is really, uh, cannot be overlooked, uh, you know, in the process. Um, but after working in, in, uh, in casting and you, uh, also mentioned that you taught school, what was that first idea that got you to, um, to start writing your first novel, even if it wasn't published, what was the, 
what was the process of, of writing that first manuscript? Well, so I was, let's see, I had stopped teaching. I was, my last class was a class of third graders, which was fabulous. I loved them dearly. Um, but then I had my first daughter and then I had three more kids every two years right after that. So I was busy for, I mean, still am busy, but when my, when my youngest, my son was in preschool, that's when I heard the Stephanie Meyer interview. And at that time, ironically enough, there was a story that was just in my head and it was in, this is so funny. Um, it was totally inspired by a Taylor Swift song that I was obsessed with called Sparks Fly. I loved the song. <laughs> I wanted to live in the song. I think Taylor Swift is adorable. And I, I just think her music is so um, heartfelt and romantic and sweet and real. And so I just, I wanted to know how the song ended. So I was kind of making things up in my head. And I thought, well, gosh, if Stephanie Meyer, who has babies in diapers can do this, my kids in preschool, like I'm free, you know? And so I just started writing it without any pressure, without any fear, right? Because no one was going to look at it. And then eventually, um, just in talking to some other moms, I realized that there were these two other moms that I knew who were also writers. And we were all at different levels. One of my dear friends had gone to school for writing. She had already written a book that wasn't published yet, but you know, she had, she had that under her belt. Um, and my other friend wrote for kids, she writes middle grade novels and she had a little bit more experience than me as well in terms of having completed an actual book, but we banded together and we formed a critique group and we, supported each other so much. We would read each other's pages. We would encourage each other. And we're still together today. It started out being called the um, SHC, the Serious Hobby Club, <laughs> because it was just kind of a hobby. And and then when we decided like, hey, let's do this, let's really pursue it. Um, that's when I really went after investigating, okay, what does it take to get an agent? What is it take to write a good query letter. And I, I did a lot of research before I actually dove into that whole process. So the, uh, did you sell that, that book that you were originally working on? Um, well, so that's interesting. I queried probably 35 agents for that book and I did not get an agent. And so I shelved it. And I remember sitting in front of my laptop thinking, I have nothing. I have nothing to write. I don't know anything. I don't have any stories. I have no ideas. And I thought, well, I'm just going to sit in, my, in front of my laptop until I get an idea. And I kind of zoned out. And I think the TV was on in the background. It must have been on in the background because I'm sure out of the corner of my eye, I saw that. I think it's a progressive commercial, but I could be wrong. But there was a pig in a car. <laughs> and I must have seen that out of the corner of my eye. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's how my book's going to start. There was a pig in the passenger seat. And once, <laughs> once I had that one line, it was, it was miraculous in the way this story took shape. I just I had all of these ideas. I was like, OK, there's an actual pig in the passenger seat. 
but the reader's going to question, wait, is it a guy or is it a pig? But it, it became the story that I wrote called Beyond the Stars, where a young girl becomes the assistant to Hollywood's biggest movie star, and he owns a pet pig. And so, so I wrote that book. I queried smarter this time. I got an agent. But the agent I wanted, like I wanted so badly to get this agent. And partly because her favorite book as a kid was The Ring of Endless Light by Madeline Leingle. That's my favorite book as a kid. And it's a little known Madeline Leingle book. And I thought, oh my gosh, we're like universally <laughs> connected in this weird way. Um, and she's fabulous. I just, I adore my agent. And anyway, I rewrote the first book that was inspired by the Taylor Swift song completely. Like I kept the same kernel of the idea, but I gutted it, rewrote it. And then that eventually sold as well. So yes, I can say that I did sell my first book just in a roundabout way. That's so funny. Um, so looking at your, um, your first two books that you publish, they look to be, um, different genre wise from lie, lie again. Um, it is, uh, did, did you take a different path with the new book or, Kind of, how do you look back on your journey to this book so far? Yeah, I absolutely took a different path with with Lila. Again, the first two books are definitely, um, you know, they're categorized as romance novels. I would say they lean toward romantic comedy a little bit because they don't take themselves too terribly seriously. Um, but with Lila, again, I just had a totally different idea and again I kind of just thought why not like I have this idea in my head um I'm going to give it a try and so the, there's definitely a storyline within the book there there are three main characters in the book and one of them follows sort of the idea of a romance but the 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 overall story is contemporary fiction domestic drama with with a revenge plot essentially <laughs> and <laughs> it was really fun to write and I think I think it just felt like a natural transition I, I think I was ready to try something a little bit different um and I'm constantly pushing myself as a writer I don't ever want to settle really and so this was a hard book to write but um I was really really happy with how it turned out so yeah. Stacy, I am fascinated with um the beginnings of things and I, I love the story um that you told uh about how beyond the stars began and that that image of the pig and it, that image then just really set off the fireworks in your brain and the story just started unfolding. Um it, it does it normally happen like that? Is there an image that then kicks off the creative process or uh, you know, in subsequent books, has it been a character that shows up first? Maybe it's a plot point that you're thinking about. Um, or how does how do they usually begin? You know, with each book, it's definitely varied. So, you know, with my with the first book I wrote, it was the song, and then the second book, it was when I kind of thought I had given up, and then you know, the pig caught the corner of my eye, and that weirdly inspired me. Like I don't. I don't even know where that idea came from. It just sort of was in my head after that little snippet of a vision from the corner of my eye. And with Lila again, um, I was at a meeting with 
with some people that I didn't know at my daughter's school. And it was, it was supposed to just be a meeting and it took a really odd turn where I had asked a question and one of the women just started yelling and slicing the air with her hand. And, and she was yelling at me. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I did not know this was going to go down this road. And I didn't understand why she had gotten so upset. And then, and I was really upset by it. Like my heart was racing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is weird. And, and when we left, I thought, okay, maybe, maybe she just came from the vet and her, she dropped off a really sick dog, or maybe she got rear-ended. And I was telling, I was making all of these excuses for her because I couldn't imagine that anybody would just be that rude, you know? And one of my girlfriends said, maybe she's just a jerk. And I thought, (laughs) oh, wow, that's interesting. And I think that sentence, maybe she's just a jerk. That set something off in my head where I started thinking about what motivates someone and and how women specifically interact with one another. And it, it just like set off this landslide of thoughts in my head. And I, I wasn't so much thinking about that meeting anymore, but I was thinking about what motivates someone and, and what inspires someone to do something and what does maybe one person think is okay, whereas another person does not think it's okay. Um, and that, that sort of forged the path for the three women in my book. And Sylvia is the character who is, is relentless and manipulative. And some people call her deliciously evil, but she, she feels very justified in all of her actions. And I, I, I can get behind her <laughs> doing what she, like, I don't, I would never want to be her friend per se, but um, I think, I hope that I kind of explain in the book why she does what she does. Um, so yeah, that, that story was sort of born out of a weird situation that I had that I couldn't stop thinking about. You know, I kept trying to work it out in my head. And I think that's how that idea all came about. I love it. So Sylvia, you mentioned, uh, we also have Ricky and Embry that, uh, mm-hmm. that form this triumvirate of, of, uh, cast of characters that that we get to meet in the book um tell me about where ricky and embry come from oh that's interesting um i don't know exactly they were just sort of they they sort of came to me pretty fully fleshed out um i i think what i was trying to do without thinking about it too much, just kind of letting it go. And I find it's easier to write if I let go. If I try to control everything, then I stifle myself. But I I wanted characters who were very different from Sylvia, but also um, in some ways they're very similar to each other. They're the same age, but they're at very different places in their lives. Embry is married. She has two babies. And Ricky is not married, dating um, a new teacher. And just sort of trying to figure out where her life's going. And so I liked the contrast of those, of those three different characters. 
and it was it was just fun to put them in different scenarios where it was they could all relate to each other in a sense, but from very different perspectives, if that makes sense. Right. Well, from the very first page of the book, um, you drop us right into the middle of uh, a life changing event. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about from page one, literally the first page of the book. Um, we know that we are catapulted into the middle of a story with uh, dire consequences. And before we even really meet any characters, um, what was the what was the uh, what was the thought behind how you opened the book and what, uh, you know, and your uh, how you launch us right into the conflict? I actually have to credit my agent with because it started differently before. And then she she suggested, you know, why don't we start with with sort of just like something really shocking? Like, why don't we move things around a little bit? Um, she's definitely very editorial. And so we played around with it a little bit. And and this is what we came up with. And I think it works because it sort of draws you into the story and, you know, something bad has happened, but then we go back and we uncover why this bad thing happened. So it's not necessarily a thriller or a whodunit, but it's, it's definitely dramatic and um, suspenseful, I would say, in some senses. Do you know when you begin writing the book how the ending is going to go? I have an idea, and I... I allow myself the freedom to change my mind if if something's not working. Um, but I do definitely have an idea. I, I don't like writing without knowing how it's going to end. That's a little bit scary to me. <laughs> I want to at least have a basic idea, knowing that I can change it. I don't know. Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> well, the, um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, we we talk about pantsers and plotters, and you know how one writes by the seat of uh, their pants and it just discovers the story as they go, as opposed to the plotters who meticulously plan out everything step by step. And, and I, I'm kind of a mix between the two. I, I like to have an idea of where I'm going uh, loosely without knowing all of the details. I, I like to kind of find out some of those details as I go. Um, or or, or what, what's your process like? I think I'm very similar to that. I think with my first book, I was definitely a bit more of a pantser. And now I have found the beauty of, of plotting things out and outlining a little bit more. That said, <laughs> I can have <laughs> the most elaborate, wonderful, perfect outline and it can all fall apart. Right. Even though I think I know exactly where things are going. Like, for example, in, in the next book that I'm writing, um, I was finished with it like a year ago, but I wasn't happy with it. And I kept thinking, gosh, there's something, there's something not right. And I finally realized I just had way too much going on. And so I, I just finally shelved it and started at page one again and there's one tiny little premise that will remain and the rest of it is getting rewritten and I was like I'm okay with that I'm okay with that some of the characters may end up in another book 
but um you know they say I, is it Stephen King who said don't be afraid to cut your darlings <laughs> kill your darlings and kill your darlings yeah and i find that i'm really i'm like the annihilator of my darlings <laughs> <laughs> i am not afraid to just put it in a file that's like to be dealt with later right um, and there's something to be said with with having enough of a plan that when you sit down to write every day, um, you know what you need to do. And, you know, there's a there's some structure to it. And but there's also something to holding those characters loosely to the point that they kind of seem like they're alive and they might just do whatever they want to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the sweet spot. I think when you can get there, that's when it's so easy to write um and i love when i'm in that space but i don't know with covid and having four kids homeschooling it's been really really hard to write you know yeah and getting allowing my one of my good friends who's also a writer said that some of her writing time includes laying on the floor staring at the ceiling and i thought oh my gosh that is so true like you need that time to sort of lose yourself from the world around you so you can really get into your story. It's not something that you can sit down and write for 15 minutes and then go make lunch and then come back and write for 10 minutes and then help someone with math homework. Like it needs to be focused time in your own little world. I think yeah. for me, for me, it yeah. does. Well, uh, and it's a, that's a good reason why uh, writers spend most of their time alone in a room with the door closed because you can lay on the floor and stare at the ceiling and, you know, whatever it is that you need for your creative process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Stacy, you, you mentioned uh, COVID and, you know, this has been an interesting year um, uh, and with all the challenges of, of homeschooling kids and, and, uh, you know, all the ways that our lives have changed this year. Um you know, bringing out a book in the middle of this uh, has got to be really interesting. Um, but are you working on a new book after this one? And and how has, you know, that process gone through uh, through the COVID lockdowns and all that good stuff? Um, yeah, that's what I was saying, that that um, I I did have a book that I thought was finished. And that's the one that I'm completely rewriting now with just one one little bit that's the same. and it's, it's been challenging and I, I've been trying to, um, sort of rework my outline and really pin things down. I think it got a little too, too broad. And it's interesting. I, I even have a friend who's really into vision boards, which I love that idea. And she said, why don't we do a vision board for your characters? And so I thought that was fascinating. Like, why not? Let's try that. And I did. And I got so many ideas from magazines that I would never have picked up unless they were put in front of me. And I made this lovely vision board for th my three main characters for my next book. And um, I still have it, but it, it, I think it, it made it way too big. And maybe if I were to do a vision board again, I would do it after I had a really solid outline. Because it was almost like I set a flock of puppies free in a meadow, and every, they were all scattered in different directions. 
And then I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even get them to come back. Like they are out there and they're doing their own thing and I have zero control. That's how that book felt as much as I thought I had an idea of how to write a book. But you know, I think each time I learn a little bit more yeah. about what works for me and, and how to, how to do things. And I, I do, I think um, during this time, I've definitely had to learn to be patient and not be to, you know, just to be kind to myself and my process because yeah. it, it's been as, as with everybody, it's just been a really tough time and, and good in some ways. I mean, I love having my kids home and I can make them lunch every day. <laughs> I think that's really fun, especially with one who's about to leave for college next year. You know, it's nice to have her here, but um, yeah, there's definitely been, been some challenges with, with this time as there has for everybody. Well, and, you know, going through uh, another round of lockdowns and, uh, you know, hopefully we're we're going to see the end of this pretty soon. This is why we need great fiction to help us take our minds off of, uh, you know, the realities of the world out there. Uh, Lie, Lie Again is available everywhere now when you're hearing this. Uh, you can get it in Kindle edition or paperback or audiobook edition, um, however you like to read books. We're going to put links to it in the show notes of this episode. Uh, Stacy, if people are just learning about you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? Um, I have a website at stacywise.com and I'm at Instagram. Um, my handle is at stacywise underscore author. And I'm also on Facebook the same way um, at stacywise underscore author. So that's how you can find me online. Excellent. And we'll put all links- my books are on Amazon. Excellent. We'll put links to all that in the show notes as well. Stacy, this has been so much fun talking. Thank you for taking time to come on the show. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. A hitman with a conscience. Ian Bragg is paid to kill people. Only bad people and not many, but for a great deal of money. Case the target. Make the hit. Move on until he meets the woman with sparkling green eyes who changes everything. A few pre-readers had this to say about Ian Bragg. Mark Dawson, million-selling thriller author, says a rip-roaring ride from start to breathless finish. Craig Martell hit a home run with the operator. The taut, lean prose and lightning-fast pace make this a page-turner without sacrificing an ounce of story or depth. You'll find yourself rooting for the hitman main character as he faces the toughest decision of his career. The Operator is the start of a new thriller series I expect to see burning up bestseller list for years to come, says A.C. Fuller, author of the Crime Beat and Alex Vane media thrillers. Suave, romantic, and lethal, Ian Bragg is everything you want in a highly paid assassin. Can't wait to ride this train, says James Blatch, self-publishing formula. It's been a long time since I fell this hard in love with a book, a very long time. Author of Women of Wine County Romantic Suspense, Terry Wells Brown says, Grab this book from Craig Martell, The Operator. Both Barrels Publishing is the brainchild of successful indie author James P. Sumner. He has self-published over 15 titles in the last five years and has over 800,000 downloads so far in his career, meaning he has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share with the indie publishing community. Knowing the struggles of the modern-day indie author as well as he does, he wanted to create a platform that would allow writers of any level 
to learn the ropes, navigate the pitfalls, and produce a professional novel without wasting time or money in the process. Both Barrels Publishing is the perfect one-stop shop for any indie author, combining James's expertise with his own team of editors and designers so you can help your novel realize its full potential and learn how to publish yourself. The purpose of Both Barrels Publishing is to help indie authors get their novels ready for publication without all the stress, hassle, and unnecessary expense. We want to make your lives easier, which is why we're giving you access to a top-notch team to publish your novels, along with a generous discount on their services. You can also work one-on-one with James to learn the intricacies of self-publishing. No hidden cost, no false promises. We simply want you to publish the best version of your novel. BothBarrelsPublishing.com